Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Richard Hansen, coach of the Roots Running Project and owner of High Altitude Spine and Sport in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the first edition of the Roots Running Sessions. The intent of this podcast is to provide a little narrative on the current world of running and how our training and rehab philosophy relates to that. Additionally, we will be audio documenting our post-collegiate training group to tell the athletes' stories and how they approach training and racing. In this first episode, I will be sitting down with Noah Drotti and Aliyah Gray the night before the Olympic Trials 10K to discuss their expectations running at Hayward Field and what the season has been like to get them to this point. If you enjoy the content we're putting out here, please review this podcast on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at roots underscore running. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for future episodes. shows that I think anyone in the right environment, you know, can achieve more than they have before um, with a change in mindset. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Richard Hansen and I'm here with Aaliyah Gray. Hey there. And Noah Drotti. Hello. And we're sitting here the night before the Olympic Trials 10K and so we thought it would be appropriate for us to do our first podcast with them on the eve of one of the bigger track events in our country. So with that being said, Noah, it's been a pretty interesting year. A lot of transition, moving from Indianapolis to Boulder, PRing in almost every event across the board. Can you kind of tell everyone a little bit about the whirlwind that you've had this past year? It's kind of difficult to know where to start there. It's just been, I don't know if you ever really appreciate how successful you're becoming in the moment. You just kind of roll with it and see what see what happens. So it's not something I've really sat down and thought a whole lot about. It just I just am always looking towards like the next race and the next thing. And it's we've gotten really lucky in that they've been mostly good things, and we've come along pretty pretty quickly. So it's exciting to have gotten to this level a lot quicker. Well, I never thought I'd be at this level. So so it's so it's been exciting to do it uh, to do it relatively quickly after you know, adapting to a new environment. Yeah, a year ago you bought two tickets to come watch the trials. This is kind of a cool story. You bought two tickets to come watch the trials with your dad, mm-hmm. not really thinking that you would be here. And now fortunately you have two tickets because now your mom is out here yep. and she can come watch you race. Obviously your intent was always to be out here in Hayward in some capacity, probably not assuming you would be competing so soon at this level. A year ago can you refresh everyone kind of where you were at in your running career and kind of now now where you're at. Yeah, so I graduated from DePaul University, a Division three um, institution in 2013. And for the two years after that, I stayed in Indianapolis. And um, I managed a running store called the Runner's Forum. And I, I, was, always, I was always running um, in some capacity. And I, I did train with a couple of different coaches, but I was doing all the training on my own and the structure was lacking and I really had no one who believed, believed in me. And so I didn't really believe in myself very much. I was really content competing on the local scene and showing up to the local races and just kind of having fun with it. Um, but I don't think that's a way to really achieve a high performance status. 
so that's what I was doing, um, but it kind of became apparent to me that running is what I was most passionate about and what I love to do, um, and a change needed to be made, and so, uh, so I found you on Twitter. We weren't your first choice, though. <laughs> <laughs> you were my only choice. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't do much research. You got forwarded our information from someone on Twitter. Well, it was a it was a retweet of of your your personal account, not even the Roots account. I'm not even sure if there was a Roots account at the time. Yeah, there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. we're for, for everyone listening at home. At the time of this recording, we are nine months into our existence of the Roots Running Project group, but we've had pretty good success this past year with the four athletes that we currently have, and our group is looking potentially to double in size over the next six weeks based on the number of athletes that are currently expressing interest and that we're we're having out for visits. So pretty exciting times for our group. And we credit a lot of that, obviously, to Coach V. Hill, who's a big mentor to our group, but a lot of it has also been the development that Noah has had just in showing that we don't really know what individual caps can be if put in the right environment, right training situation, and someone approaches it with the right positive mindset. Yeah, I guess we should <clears throat> say when I first started talking to you, my PRs were 68, 30-something, and a half marathon, twenty nine forty for 10K, and then fourteen thirty seven for 5K. Which, and we'll get to your 10K in a, in a little bit, but yeah. that, that is crazy. That a year a year ago, you were a 68-minute half marathoner, 29.40 in the 10K, and here you are running the Olympic trials a year later. Yeah, and really the the catalyst was a, a change in environment. And let's let's talk about world-class coaching to a certain extent. And world-class set. coaching, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, you're, I include you in the environment, um, <laughs> yeah. in the environment change, and just being out here with... With athletes like Aaliyah and a coach like you who are so dedicated to the sport, there's no excuse for me not to be as well. And so with that with that kind of structure, I mean, I, it just shows that I think anyone in the right environment, you know, can achieve more than they have before um, with a change in mindset. Well, and we joke a little bit that you and Aaliyah are kind of connected at the hip in terms of like, when you have a good day, she has a good day. When she's feeling a little bit of something flare up, you have something kind of flare up to a certain extent. I mean, the dynamic of having that, that perfect mesh of personalities as teammates is also important. Aaliyah, if you don't mind jumping in and kind of expressing what Noah's meant, having him as part of your training situation. Yeah. um, Nice things. (laughs) Kind of going in line with us having some parallels. I think there was one day where we were both running a pretty long interval workout where after like the third interval, we both, we knew we were, we'd be okay to finish, but it was, it was getting tough pretty early on. And I think we hugged each other after every <laughs> single interval. And it was just like a little, bringing a little bit of humor into the a time where, you know, we're both hurting pretty bad, but also knowing that we both, we both still want to get through it. Like nobody wants to call it quits, but having a little extra, extra support in the way of a friendship there as a teammate. That goes a long way. And we've seen a big jump in your performance, too, over the past year since just having that team dynamic. Like, you started with Coach V. Hill and with myself implementing the training a year and a half ago. And last spring, it was pretty much just you and me out there at practice. But it just, your your performances really took off this fall when, one, you had to take some accountability because now I'm coaching other athletes. But having those other teammates around just kind of boosting you up a little bit. Well, and I think having other people around sometimes takes off a little bit of 
just the every the day-to-day stress where it is hard if you're the only one out at the workout and that's the sole reason that you're out there um and if it's not going particularly well or if it's a rough day you feel a little bit worse about it you know it's it becomes better when it's a collective thing and um because of course you're not going to have perfect workout days every single time you go out but i think it just makes it more valuable where you have where you have these sessions with other people included even if it's not a big group um where everyone's out there trying to do some good stuff it's not just one and well, that's where we can almost stress the importance of team culture to a certain extent. And I was like so many of the big moments in our, yeah, at least in my career, and I think in your career now too, have been have been shared. Which is, you know, even us as a trio, we've been going to all these big races together, the marathon trials, which for me was just a really cool thing to be there. It actually went very well for Aaliyah. Uh, <laughs> um, but we got to do that together. Then we, then like you know, the Boulder Boulder Pro team, we got to do together as a group. And then the the track trials we're now doing as a group too. And so that's been really cool. And you guys can't see at home, but we're in this pretty dingy hotel room in Eugene, Oregon. The it's night very be- hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the night before Turned the trials. <laughs> but but Noah's sleeping on a cot in our hotel room, which is something you slept in our hotel room the night before the Olympic trials marathon slept on a cot the night before your first big 5k. Like it's just something you can't live without me and Aaliyah. I know. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. I feel kind of lost without, without you guys around in these, in these moments, but it it makes the travel so much easier. makes logistics so much easier. And you know, I'm looking forward to her race as much as I'm looking forward to mine. And that, that honestly takes the stress off my race knowing that, uh, knowing that we've got a second shot too. (laughs) (laughs) So, Leah, after we did a podcast with the Run Faster Jay Johnson podcast where we kind of talked about your injury going into the marathon trials, and you ended up having a pretty good day where you finished 10th overall, kind of give us a brief recap of what that injury was, and then we'll kind of transition into to spring. So I had a traumatic fracture in my fibula. That happened when I was kind of running downhill and just turned it, turned my ankle, and I kind of kept turning it in training. Once you roll it once, it's easier for it becomes easier for it to happen again. It's a the fibula is a predominantly non weight bearing bone, about twenty percent at most. I think that's probably what allowed me to kind of train through more than I would have been able to if it was if it was a more high risk area like like a foot or even the tibia. But so we found out I had a fractured fibula in December, and luckily we have Richie has an altergy at his office. And I did a ton of pretty aggressive altergy work, and we just, we really took training in that marathon cycle so day-to-day. And that was really challenging, I think, for both of us, but it really was a huge learning experience, too, on learning to just not stress about the future or try not to stress about the future too much and really deal with the cards dealt to you. And so I got to the marathon trials way more undertrained than I ever thought I would. I think I had one 20 miler underneath me, but that was that was the longest run I had done, and it was it was a hot day. It was a day that was rough for a lot of people, but I was probably more mentally prepared too from just having a more challenging buildup. And uh, you know, it had ended up going actually, like Richie had said, pretty well, and I found myself in the tenth position at the end. Yeah, and I think some of that though we can attribute to even though you had that injury about eight weeks before the trials. Just the consistency over the past year and a half. I mean, you had hit 48 out of 56 weeks. You had hit 90 miles a week consistently. And so some of that is just having that under your belt where that last eight weeks, although
build-out would have been important from a sharpening standpoint and just getting that, that ideal perfect build-up that everyone kind of searches for on marathon trials that we're finding out is more and more Elusive. rare. <laughs> yeah. But just having that consistency over the past year was probably the key point. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I I was still running like 90 miles a week on the Altergy, um, and we were kind of trying, you know, tweaking workouts on the fly to try to get the best response that we could. But I still, even though I was injured, was was really fortunate that I had access to that to that treadmill and that I was able to still continue training the way that I was. And like I had mentioned before, we were even in a weird way lucky with the area of the fracture. If I was going to get a fracture, it was one that did let us create this uh, train on the fly plan. So after marathon, I mean, you finished 10th. What did the the post-race and transition to outdoors look like? I mean, you did Stanford. Um, How was that transition in that six weeks from the marathon to doing Stanford? You know, I think because I was decently a little bit more under train going into trials i i didn't feel as spent at the end of that cycle as maybe i normally would at the end of a normal marathon cycle and so i i finished that and took a little bit of time down i i still take active time when i'm taking downtime um and luckily i i got another image luckily my fracture was healed but i kind of felt pumped up from the trials and was kind of ready to get the outdoor track season kick started and so we we headed to uh, Stanford, the first Stanford, I think, at the beginning of April. And I opened with a 5K there, which is pretty different than yeah, 26 you, miles. You ended up leading five laps of the race. Yeah, something like that. Um, which is rare for you as well. Yeah. I, I mean, that's definitely... I was definitely out of my comfort zone there, but the pace was, wasn't was super hot at the front. No time to practice like the present. And so I wasn't quite able to hold the pace through the last like mile of the race, but it was good practice to get back out there. And over overall, it was still one of my faster 5Ks. You know, everyone's a perfectionist. I'd, lo- I'd love to see that time be faster. But. Now fast forward four weeks after Stanford to Peyton Jordan, you didn't have the auto standard for trials going into that race. You had run a big PR in December, which was 3229. But we knew that you had to hit the auto standard of 32.25. And on an ideal day, you wanted to give yourself a chance to run under 32, which you ended up doing. By a hair. By a hair. 31.59. Counts. It yeah. still counts. still counts. Yeah, I mean, so going into Peyton Jordan, that was, I think, May 1st. Like Richie had said, I had run a, a good 10K PR on the track in December, which was great. And at, at the time, I think it was still an over 20-second PR for me in December. So I knew that I still needed to knock off some time, but I think I was, so I was four seconds off the auto time yeah. for the Olympic trials. And we had found out that the auto mark was going to be 32.25 the night before. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was kind of bittersweet. It was a big PR, but just off. And so knowing you needed a big one with this being your only, only 10K opportunity of outdoors. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of people that on a year like this are chasing marks and I just, Knowing that the 10K was my was going to be my better event, probably I. It's harder to chase a mark in a 10K, you know, to to race one and then turn around and go for it again. Not saying that it's ever easy to turn around and chase a mark in other events, but the 10K does kind of take it out of you in a different way. So well, and you have so few opportunities for that, for that, good that, fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of meets that offer them throughout the year, so you got to take advantage of the good ones when they do happen. You know, you never want to put too much pressure on yourself at one time, but at the same time, 
when we saw the field lining up for Peyton Jordan, knowing that it's a great event every single year. And it's just a magical experience. I mean, Stanford (laughs) at night uh, during those meets, it's just, there's something in the air that makes PRs happen. Yeah. And I've been running on there since, gosh, since I ran at Stanford once in high school. It's been a good place for me in the past. And so I'm always excited to return to it because I've had so many positive experiences there. But yeah, you you do look at a field like that and you kind of try to tell your, you know, soak in the fact that this is a great opportunity and you don't want to walk away from the night feeling like you missed an opportunity. 3159, the crazy stat of that night was that in 2012, going into the Olympic trials, there was only four women under 32 minutes. And going into this Olympic trials, you're currently ranked 12th on the list, but there's been four scratches. So there were 16 women under 32 minutes. Yeah. <clears throat> State of especially on the women's side, American distance running has come a long way in those four years. Pretty cool to, to think that you're, you're 12th going into the trials with a 3159, just how good the American field is going to be. So if you place well, how much more that, that can mean just with the competition that you're going up against. Yeah, and I think that was running that time that night was really fun too because a lot of, a lot of U.S. women ran really well that night and it, it felt a little bit like... I don't know, in in a weird way, like we were making history together, you know, like Richie said, maybe a couple years ago, if I had run that time, I would have been put very much so in the upper echelon of American distance running for the U.S. woman. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here and that's an amazing accomplishment in itself. But the fact that we have so much depth at that time is pretty incredible too. So to get to be a part of that era, I think is pretty cool as well. And Noah, you ended up running your qualifier of few weeks later it wasn't the auto standard it was a couple seconds off the auto standard but it was a a pretty important night at portland track fest um we had kind of outlined that 2820 would potentially be that time to get you in we had targeted that time what about four or five weeks out as this is what it's going to take you need to run down the night and you were two seconds shy of that but obviously got you into the trials yeah i mean that that race was big for me because i had felt so bad <laughs> going into it um yeah your tuesday workout yeah i mean yeah we can talk about that tuesday workout i, I was running 800s at 240 pace you yeah, know by and the struggling end of it. and struggling um i was barely hobbling I, mean, I wasn't injured. I was just, I was just slow. I just couldn't move my legs, and that. But you had had a big weekend, like yeah, let's yeah. Be I mean, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always reasons for that stuff, but just in all, I, I felt like I'd been lagging a little bit in the, you know, two weeks, ten days, or whatever before that. So I was pretty nervous going into the race, and you know, we talked leading up a lot about positivity, and I was, I was trying, but when you're not feeling good, you, you don't want to hear it. Yeah, and one thing I had told you, I think that day out at the track was, well, it's a good thing you're not running the 10k today. Yeah. You still have five days till that race. Yeah, and that's one thing I'm learning is that a lot can change in a very short amount of time. But anyway, so that so that was my state of mind going into it. I was a little bit a little bit nervous. I mean you always want to be confident, but as a runner I think there's a part of you that's always imagining that blow up on the third lap and then you crawl home for <laughs> for, for twenty two laps. That's, that's yeah. a long one. The slow clap coming down the home. Yeah, stretch. exactly. And so I, w- I was very much like wanting to run well. But like part of me, I think was prepared for that to happen too. So I was, I was a little bit nervous going into it. I mean, I warmed up pretty quietly. I, I came over and I just kind of gave you and Mar and Billy a little fist bump, and then I just kind of went over to the line and, and did it. But when the race starts, I mean, you stop thinking about the two weeks before it. You stop thinking about the month before it. You're not thinking about anything. 
except settling into the pace and running and running those 25 laps. And so that's that's what I did. And then as soon as that was out of my mind, I was able to settle in. Yeah, and we had talked about before how important every second was. Yeah. Because not just from a qualifying standpoint to give yourself a chance, but your marks coming in were not that impressive comparative to a lot of guys that you were racing. And so we knew that even you were fit enough to, to hit a big PR, but we needed every second to try to get you into better meets in the future. Yeah. And I'm not honestly, I'm not even sure how much the trials were on my mind going into that because I, I almost never even let myself think about the trials until we got really close to that race. People asked me after the marathon trials if I was going to go for the 10k trials and I was just like you guys don't understand like it's a dip like you know 200 people get into the marathon trials 25 get into the 10k and I didn't think I was in that caliber but during the race like we talked about every second um we, we identified like 68 says the split to hit through four and so you know we'd come through and I'd see you on the back stretch and you were you know it'd be 68 it'd be 69 and if it was a second slow I'd be like all right you know let's get back on and and that kept my fight going to really make sure that that the pack I was in was was staying on pace. Like I was ready to I was ready to attack a little bit to make sure it was on. And when Noah says sixty eights, like we have we have kind of the the motto of Richie to Richie. Like when you're in a track race, it's you know where I'm going to be at at each point. Compartmentalize it into one lap at a time, Richie to Richie. And so sixty eight to sixty eight was you're on for that lap, next lap, make it 68. You kind of settled in that first four or five laps, but then had to do a lot of the work, a good, what, 60% of the race. Yeah, and that that's one thing that frustrates me about this level of racing sometimes is how content people are just to, to sit and get dragged along. And so I felt like people would take the lead, but then they'd slow it down to 69 or 70 even. And at that point, it's, you know, it's like, what are we doing? We're all wasting our time here. So I, you know, I'm going to be the one quickly to jump out in front and get it back honest again and it wasn't you know there were guys in that race who definitely were willing to help and uh scott smith was one we scott smith was huge yeah, yeah. scott smith scott smith is the reason that i'm sitting here and i i hope he would give me some credit for him being here too because we really worked together that race um, yeah he came up on your shoulder at one point during the race right yeah, about, I don't know, maybe halfway in, um, it became pretty apparent that he and I were the only ones really willing to do that work up front in that chase pack. Um, and so I took over from him, and then I just heard him go 800s, and I was just like, yeah. I like to talk during races. It kind of keeps me engaged, and so... Uh, you like to talk a lot outside of races, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, but anyway, yeah, so we kind of struck up a little verbal agreement there, and, and that's, what, that's what we did for the next couple miles at least. I don't really remember exactly, but... It kept us both engaged because I was either chasing him or I was up front and I felt the responsibility of the pace. Yeah, and I didn't know at the time that I was the only one calling splits for you guys because you guys were the ones chasing the standard. I'm glad I was obviously on that top turn, Mm -hmm. but I think for you guys being able to hear that split each lap and knowing that you're flipping off taking the lead, the responsibility is being shared. It becomes, even though you're two competitors in the same event, you're working together to make sure that, and uh, and over that last 800, you guys were racing that last 800. That's yeah. that wasn't teamwork at that point. Yeah. But at the same time, going into that last 800, it was let's set ourselves up to give ourselves a chance. Well, that's like a beautiful part of the sport is that it can flip from being cooperative to being competitive within within minutes of one race. Um, you know, we obviously belong to two different groups. We didn't know each other before, you know, um, it's, it's amazing thing that you can work with somebody to achieve a goal. But when, when it really gets down to crunch time, you, you want to be that person, um, whoever it is. Now your last 600, 
you averaged 63 seconds over your last 600. And your last 200, you ran 30 seconds for your last two. So you had to kick pretty hard in order to still hit the time that you did. Tell the story. So after the, after that Portland Track Festival, you and I were in our Uber going back to the hotel. And what were we doing? Yeah, so we got in the car and then, um, you know, we're immediately on our phones, like, checking the lists. And you're reading out names of guys who are ahead of me on the list. And we're, we're just, and I'm taking notes on a notepad on my phone. And, you know, we're... Rupp, True, Mead, Estrada, Lagat, you know, and we're and we finally get everyone on the list, and then and then we count you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then we finally get to Drotti, and I was I was twenty three, and we were pretty sure they were going to take twenty four. So, and this, I mean, people should also know that this was essentially the last ten k, yes, um, the last high performance ten k where anyone was going to hit the standard really. Um, so we knew as long as they filled the field. Well, you at the time said it was 40%, and every week it would go yeah. a little bit yeah. higher. <laughs> yeah, because you, you never want to be 100% and then have USATF pull something where you, where, you, where you don't end up getting in and getting your hopes up. So I really wanted to wait to be excited. I mean, I was excited about the race no matter what, but I wanted to wait until I accepted the reality of the trials. Well, and that's something I think that was pretty beautiful about that moment, too, is like like you said, we're counting off guys like good guys diego yeah hassan mead ben true lagad guys that have been established been in the sport that you've kind of looked up to over the last couple of years and now here your name is on that list with a lot of those guys i mean one of the guys that you said you were most excited to meet was ben bruce and here you are and like yeah, now you're yeah. ahead of ben. nothing against ben bruce ben no like, he's a great runner he's, he's a great yeah, runner a great and a great runner. guy and a yeah. great father yeah but <laughs> Here, here Noah Drotti is on this list. All these really well-established guys that have been a part of U.S. distance running for a number of years. It just it was it was that next step from a year ago. You're running every local 5K to try to win fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, and now here you are going to the Olympic trials. Yeah, making no money. Making, still making <laughs> yeah. no money. Sleeping on the yeah. cot in your Sleep. coach's hotel room. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, and you. That, you know, I cried my eyes out after that race, but I, I did the same thing when I ran 2940 because it, it's all about that next level. And when I ran 2940 back in college, like that put me in the upper echelon of Division Three. Um, there's always a bigger pond, and so this, you know, 28 whatever put me up, put me up in that upper echelon of of U.S. distance running at least. And, and the the cool part about that race too, not just Scott Smith working with you, but when you crossed the finish line, you immediately laid on the ground. But you had no idea where you finished in the race. You yeah. were just running hard. Yeah. And so you thought you finished seventh, but you were second in the race. And you, like you said, you didn't know if you were lapping somebody or if you were if you were passing somebody. The whole point was every second counted, so you were running hard start to finish. And they stopped the clock at 28.04, which is when the leader crossed. And so I came around the home turn looking at the stopped clock, or I saw it stop with like 100 to go. And so I'm just running... I'm just running, totally rigging up, just as hard as I can, but I had no idea where I was. I wasn't even thinking about the trials. I mean, at that point, you're just so deep into a race that you just want to make sure you earn every second of it. So it was cool when we found out. Yeah, and I think, what was it, four laps ago or three laps ago, I yelled at, at you, be somebody. Be somebody, that's, yeah. That's, that's a pretty common theme out of our practice. Can you? <laughs> yeah, so uh, shout out to my college roommate, uh, Quinn Carrico. Um, a great friend of mine from back home. We went, ended up going to DePaul together too. But uh, every time I came home from a from a race, he'd he'd be in the room and uh, he'd ask how I did, and it didn't matter. I I won invitationals, you know. I was a two time All American. I could, 
but whatever the result was, he'd always say, it could have been somebody, and, you know, it was funny at the time, but now looking back at it, I mean, it's, it's true, there's always, you can always do a whole lot better, yeah. you know, and so you can't be too content with your accomplishments too long, and he always brought me back down to earth pretty quick. <laughs> and, and that, Elliot, to transition over to you, that's something Coach Hill always strikes with us, like, be, be appreciative and be reflective of the moment, but don't settle in that that's your limit. As soon as you finished Peyton Jordan and ran thirty one fifty nine, what was his response? He, I think, I think he said that's wonderful. And he goes, "We can get that your, we can get your lap time down by a couple more seconds." You know, like, I can thanks, shave. Coach. That's you know, and you think in a ten k, if you shave off two seconds per lap, that's another fifty second PR. So, um, I mean, it, it's fun to share. Like, I know he's proud of me for those big moments, but it's also it's always encouraging to know that you have someone that thinks you can do more. You know, that that's not like the cap and the end all be all. I think when you, when you really love the sport, you never want to be done with it. And so to work with people who are excited for you when you have these milestones, but also keep you going and don't let you stagnate because of them either is, is really great. After Peyton Jordan, you've had kind of a rough four or five (laughs) weeks or so. Yeah. Yours and my dog of 10 years passed away. Yeah. You were sick at the time following Peyton Jordan coming back from travel. You've had a little bit of a, a foot flare-up over the past week that you were pretty concerned about the last two days wasn't going to allow you to even run the trials. Take us through like how how dealing with that stress, managing that stress, but still knowing like there's still time. We don't know how your body's going to respond. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd be pretty open in saying that I'm still trying to manage that stress as we speak. You know, there, there's always something new like a new curveball that you're going to get thrown at you. And Richie Richie touched on that our dog had passed away, and that happened right after, like a couple days after we got back from the Peyton Jordan Invitational. Going back or setting the stage even a little bit more, I had three races slated for myself in May, which is a lot for me. Um, I usually don't race super frequently, and I was really excited about all of them, but I remember, I remember specifically telling Richie at one point, all right, I can do the the month of May with all these competitions. Like it's doable, and I'm excited, but I have no room for error. And it was like, man, <laughs> error popped up in just three days in, um, in a really big way. And uh, yeah, our our dog was our baby, so that was really hard to to lose him. And you know, just he coming, was your napping buddy. He was my napping buddy. He uh, he always knew when I'd come home in the middle of the day to, to recover. He'd jump up on the bed with me. But I mean, it's you're always kind of learning to deal with stress. And I think I'm constantly reminded that you're constantly learning yourself. And, and yeah, my foot, my foot flared up in a really weird way. You had um, a really good track session. I had a great track session. Felt, felt strong and Just fast. two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And when, right the day that I was leaving to come out here actually, and we think we know what it is, but, um, yeah. So <laughs> what, what it's presenting like is a condition called cuboid syndrome where, She's using her peroneals on the outside of her leg really hard. The, the outside stabilizers of your leg, they get tight. It shifts the bone, and it's almost like a partial dislocation of that bone. It's really, really painful, and so it can almost mimic the thought that there's a fracture present. When that bone shifts, obviously you have to shift it back into place. So it was I wasn't with her. I was driving out to Eugene at the time. She was kind of describing it to me over the phone, even taking a picture, pointing to where it is. She had kind of a crazy travel day. She had flight cancellation, a flight delay, and a flight reroute to Eugene. So she didn't get in until 1 a.m. 
two nights ago or last night. I don't even know what day it is. I drove <laughs> 19 hours yesterday. Um, but she, uh, we, we kind of looked at the foot when she got in here to Eugene. Pretty sure that it's it's cuboid syndrome. We, we actually adjusted the bone, which had a pretty loud audible release today at the track. And woke Noah up at 1 a.m. when you guys, <laughs> you guys got back. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but it's been improving, so the hope is that we'll continue to see that improvement prior to the 10K on Saturday. Um, that will allow her to compete the way that she wants to without thinking about it, which is something that we even talk about. Like, with injuries going in, those things happen. How many people at trials are struggling with something that is sore that's a little bit tender. And so you can't panic about how it feels today. All you can do is take your current circumstance and try to optimize it to the best of your ability to make it work for you. So, okay, your foot flared up. Let's not dwell on your foot flaring up. Let's figure out how we can make it feel as best that it can going in. And if it feels good enough to be able to compete the way that you want, we did our job to the best of our ability. I think the big point with that is you've had a lot of stress over the past six weeks and it still remains to be seen. We'll talk, we'll do a post-race recap on this about how the day went, but similarly to what you had to deal with going into the marathon trials, now going into the 10K, and Noah, you can speak up to this too, because last week you had an Achilles flare-up that you weren't sure how it was going to respond. We just kind of have to take each day at a time to make sure that we're not putting too much emphasis on one workout one singular injury and try to make sure that we do everything we can to get you guys ready to race on that day. Yeah, it's obviously like you want everything to go smoothly. You want you want your your last 2 weeks to go smoothly as the training leading up to it. Unfortunately, that's not always the reality when you put your bodies under the kind of stress that we put ours through. Luckily, we we have Richie here to to be that guy every day to reassure us and do we're we're doing everything we can to make sure we can get to a start line, and that's something I I can't say that's been true in my career in the past. You know, I within the confines of legal rules. Oh obviously. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> not I mean, everything. Like we we we. <laughs> There's other stuff a, we could be doing. I'm, I'm going to tell a story from when we were out as Azusa Pacific. Uh, Noah likes to revert back to. The speculation, we don't know whether they're doing illegal stuff or not, but there was the documentary that came out on the Nike Organ Project talking about androgel, and <laughs> Noah likes to joke, so uh, when do we rub the androgel on ourselves? How much should we How use? How much should we use? <laughs> so we're at the Azusa Pacific Invitational earlier this track season, and Noah turns to me as we're watching the races, so is now the time that you rub the androgel on me? I'm like... We probably shouldn't say that at a track meet. Especially when I'm starting to run better. It's now that you're running well. Not something we've, yeah, so, but anyway, as far as, like, a healthcare, as far as healthcare is concerned, you know, we, we have the best weapon on our side. So just about managing it day to day and and not panicking when something flares up. But my Achilles thing is still there a little bit, but I'm pretty confident I'll be able to, to compete to my normal ability. I think Aaliyah will, too. And I guess that's, <laughs> I, I think that's kind of the important point to get across too like you guys the way that you're training i mean you have to train hard in order to compete improve we're training smart but we have to train hard consistently consistently and so the key is how do we monitor that on a day-to-day basis to make sure that you're recovering the way that you should in between each individual session we're using as much of the science on our side as we can because i do Obviously, I stay up to date with a lot of the research, and to a certain extent, your body's going to break down. We just have to to almost time it to where 
you're recovering from that break, those minor breakdowns, as opposed to like having it become more of that type of injury. And so it is, it's kind of a fine art blending the two of training hard, but mixing in the science and the recovery aspect with it. So you can't almost stress when something doesn't feel right. Like you, that was one of the bigger things when you first moved out, constantly talking about your legs just feel tired, your legs feel tired. It's like, of course your legs feel tired. You're working out pretty hard. But what we need to do is time it to get you ready for a race, which was an important shift for you to try to learn and still be confident that you could race fast. Yeah, and I went from working out once a week to working out five days a week. So you're going to have tired legs on a lot of those days. But like we talk about a lot, you know, we're working different stimulus. Well, now both of you are coming back to Hayward for a second time. Aaliyah, last year was your first time racing at Hayward. You were 10th in the 10K at the U.S. Championships and 12th at the 5K. And Noah, your first time was actually in a half marathon where you finished the Eugene half marathon two years ago, three years ago. No, uh, I guess two, so 2014. We talk about Stanford being a lo- an electric place. Hayward Field is just, it's so <laughs> historic. Um, and so many great runners have obviously come through there. The experience of being on that track is just obviously pretty incredible and pretty electric. And you can feel it. Just we were out there today at the warm up um, time frame, and it's 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 going to be a special no- day and night for both of you guys. Just being in that environment at Olympic trials. With that, is there outside of yourself, obviously wanting to compete well? What competitor in your race are you selfishly kind of cheering for? I've been really inspired by Scott Fauble this year and seeing the... We've actually been on a lot of the same events, both uh, the half marathon championships in Columbus, uh, Boulder, Boulder, and now now the trials. And so it's been really fun to see the year he's had. I think it, we've kind of paralleled in certain ways. He's been a step ahead of me the whole way. So he's been on fire this year, and uh, he's a competitor, and I think he deserves to do well. So he he's one guy I'm definitely... Uh, Definitely cheering for. There's several, for sure, um, but but he's one of those up-and-comers that you would love to see go out there, and whether he makes the team or not, like at least be able to walk away knowing he had a really good race. I think one of the people I'm actually most intrigued by that'll be in my race is Natasha Rogers, and she has kind of a, a crazy story, and I, I think I only know bits and pieces of it, but what I do know has been really compelling. She fell during, during the trials in the 10K at 2012, and ended up, you know, getting up, rallying, and finishing second, I believe. She didn't she didn't have the Olympic standard, so she didn't end up making the team, which is a bummer. And she's had kind of a rough go the last couple years, or at least been off the map a little bit more. But really, late season in the spring, she's come around and set PRs in the 5K. And then she basically led herself to her 10k standard a 32 a 32-0 at race at portland track and um leading a good part of that second 5k too yeah oh, oh leading so much of the race um and just kicking hard home and i th- i think about the time that i ran at stanford and i was so fortunate that i just kind of you know we had a lot of women who were running around the time that i was running so i i didn't have to do a lot of like a lot of leading and front running to make that time happen. Like I had a lot of people that collectively were running like that. She didn't, she didn't have that. And you could really, you could even see it in her face. She's a racer. And so it was cool. It's been cool to see her come back into form, especially at this time with the history that she had at this exact race four years ago. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what she does. Yeah. And for both, I mean, with Scott and Natasha, both of them are on such positive, huge upswings too. I mean, both are dangerous coming into the trials because 
they have had great years, but they've consistently improved on those performances over the year, too. I mean, the the tough part of the trials races are just knowing who's ready to go because some of these qualifiers can be hit a year, year and a half ago. And so you just don't know who's fit, who's healthy, who's ready to go. But the, those are two, obviously, that, that you know should be ready. Yeah. Let's close it out by kind of talking a little bit about what's been the biggest thing in kind of shifting your mindset from being excited to be at an Olympic trials, going into races where you're trying to hit qualifiers to then believing you can compete once you're in those races. Yeah. Well, for me, the marathon trials, I think was a good trial run. I went there just like super happy to be there and enjoying the experience. And then I really got it handed to me when, when the race came around and I think there were several factors at play there, but anyway, like the experience set me up well to come here and be a little more calm when I see all these runners who I've been geeking out on over the the years as a track fan, and I can see them, and I can be confident that I belong to, on that start line in the 10K. And I know that I'm on an upswing, and I know that on any day I can compete with most of these guys. So yeah, I'm just I'm excited to to prove that I can be a guy out there who, who's running well um, and running well at the right time, and I think I can be that guy. So. And one of the things you and I emphasized this week when we were talking about the race is you've gone most of your career not being in time trial races. You've gone and you've raced. Yeah. And that's something that I think is important in these types of races is being ready to compete, not just being ready to kind of tack on. And I mean, I had to talk you off the ledge a little bit because you you want to go lead the first mile. Yeah. I mean, well, I tactically, like, this is all, I was kind of adrift, you know. This is all new ground for me. I have no idea what to... (laughs) I had no idea what to do or what to expect, when, but when you really boil it down and you're like, well, just go race the field, it's like, well, okay, that's what I'll do. <laughs> you know, I'll go race the field because it's a track race. You know, that's exactly, it sounds simplistic, but that's exactly what it is. And if you, and if you go out there to race the field, you're going to get pulled along to something just fine, you know? Yeah, we were talking earlier, we were out at Hayward, and it was a little breezy and windy, and we're like, I wonder how it'll be for the race, but at the end of the day, it's a race. Yeah. Everyone's going to race the wind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's going to it's gonna be hot. It doesn't matter. It's going to be windy. It doesn't matter. Um, it's not going to be comfortable. So be it, you know? So it just, uh, yeah, just about dealing with a flat-out race, and time doesn't matter necessarily tomorrow. Um, obviously, to make the Olympic team, you have to run a certain standard, but really I think our goal is just to better my ranking of 21st, and, uh, you know, if I can go out there and take some scalps, and regardless of the time, I think we can walk away and be be pretty proud of that. For me, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have much experience front running, and like we kind of touched on at my first track race at Stanford for the 5K this year, it was some good experience for me taking it taking it for five laps and being the one pushing the pace because that's not a position I've found myself in very often. I think as I've been kind of trying to rise through the ranks of American distance running, I've found myself as like a mid-packer pretty consistently where I've really been running, been able to better my times each year. But I think you, you also start to reach a level where you start to want to win a little bit more and you start seeing your times, your times go down and you see them in relation to some of the other people that you compete against and you realize that they're really not that far away. And I think I've in that realization I've also learned that learning to win is is a skill set too. It's not just absolutely fitness and training as a big is a big part of that, but you also have to be ready to go for it mentally. And um 
so that's something like a transition that I've really been trying to work with and, you know, kind of looking at any set field with myself in it and saying, well, why not me? Why not? That's something you read about the Julie Coley story from 2012. Yeah. Yeah. I think she said she was on a run with, with someone at the time and they were talking about how cool it would be if she made the Olympic team and the person she was with stopped and was like, you know what? No, like, I think you could win. You could win the thing, <laughs> which is what she, she ended up doing in kind of dramatic fashion in 2012. Yeah, unexpected winner at the time, obviously wasn't the favorite going in, but had an incredible race to put herself in a position to, to be there at the end. Yeah, so it's, you know, these these races, you work really hard fitness-wise to get yourself here, but you're also trying to sharpen your mental game, and even on days that I'm having a hard time, sometimes my goal through practice is like, all right, we're just going to try to be positive throughout the entire repeat, even if it's a rough repeat. You know, I'm, I don't want to think about how tired I am. I want to think about if those starts, thoughts start creeping in, you know, think about something proactive I can do, like focusing on form or something else. Yeah, and one of the quotes we keep drawing back to at, at workouts, too, is the John Wooden quote of things don't always work out the way you want them to, but how they should. And so if you've prepared the way that you should, you focus on the day-to-day outside of running stuff that helps get you ready to perform the next next subsequent workout, we get good indicators of kind of where your fitness is, and then we can come up with an appropriate plan, obviously, of what you can go out and realistically do to compete. And then over the latter course of that race, if you've set yourself up well, then it's go and race at that point, which is something, Noah, that you and I kind of talked about too. The first half of the race, like, keep yourself safe, put yourself in a good position, and then from there, go and race. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty... It's easy when you say it. I mean, it's a pretty simplistic race plan, but I think that's about as it doesn't have to. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Yeah, just realize. I think I have pretty good racing instincts, and I like to race, and that's just what we're gonna do tomorrow night. And now we're gonna get some sleep. I'm gonna turn on the air conditioning because really. it is hot <laughs> and we're tired. It is really hot. So yeah. we'll, we'll we'll do a follow up after the race, kind of giving everyone a recap of both how they did but how the race itself was in the experience hope you enjoyed listening and we hope to do more of these in the future see you guys good night bye